welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I am your host, Frank LaRosa. I am stoked for a conversation today that I've been waiting a long time on for two guests that I have. So two really important guests. They can fight it out to see who's more important than the other. But he is for sure. There's no <laughs> doubt he is. So on our show today, and for those of you watching on YouTube, Advisor Talk with Frank Laws on YouTube, you'll see two really handsome looking guys with beards on the guy without the beard. But first, on my left side, Team Frog Logic there is Dave Rutherford, who is a former Navy SEAL. He's a world champion motivational speaker. He's spoken around the world. He speaks to financial advisors all over the world for many, many years. And he's got some great stories. I got his new book or one of his books. I shouldn't say new. One of his books. He's got a couple coming out that he'll talk about. So we're going to have some great conversation about the markets and how to view things in the world through a wealth management financial advisor and that of a Navy SEAL operator. On the right side, this other good looking dude, Kyle Kroberger, is also a former Navy SEAL. You guys have some <clears throat> some run-ins with each other, right? You guys can get into that. Some great stories. But Kyle is a consultant, is a senior consultant with our firm, Elite Consulting Partners. And one of the things that we're trying to really get accomplished, many things with Kyle being part of the Elite team, is really making sure that people understand if you are a veteran, you're a financial advisor who was a veteran, and you're looking for help in transitioning from one firm to another, and you really need that person that understands who you are, what you've been through, what your life might be like or was like, you can trust them. Reach out to Kyle. He's the guy you should be talking to. Also, for those that are looking to transition into wealth management, maybe for some other industry or directly out of the military, Kyle's the guy to go to. We have lots of connections. He's got lots of connections. That's sort of the plug for Kyle there. But I want to have both of you guys on board because of your history together, it'll certainly make for an interesting conversation. Well, I'm just going to jump right in then and start out, just give people an understanding of what that history is like. So when we were back in Buds back in the 1900s, I struggled to make it through directly, right? I had a few setbacks. So when I was at this one point, I was checking guys in on a regular basis and I was kind of given the skinny and the gouge on how to not get hammered every day and how to get your kit squared away and where to be on time and all that and I remember this big dude came in and he's pretty ominous looking and he's tough and didn't say much to anybody. And I remember him coming over and he goes, hey, you know what's going on around here, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, I think I do. And he's like, OK, I'm going to hang out with you. <laughs> and that's how we launched our friendship. But very quickly, I learned that Kyle was much more than a person looking for how to make the most of his time there. I mean, he was one of the top swimmers in his class. He was one of the top performers in his class. He was a guy that a lot of the younger guys kind of leaned on for that support because of how tough he was, including me. And then also since then, Kyle has been more than a friend for the last 25 years. In fact, I would not be where I am right now, Frank, on this podcast talking to you if it were not for Kyle Kroberger and what he did for me when I decided to hang up the proverbial bulletproof vest and to kind of get into the real world, if you will. He was the one that helped with that transition more than any other person in my life. And so not only is he a teammate, but he is 
a profound brother. That's how I know Mr. Kroberger. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> We're honored to have him here. Not too off on a tangent a little bit, but the idea of helping, helping you, how he helps financial advisors. I heard a rumor. I heard a story. You mentioned swimming that Kyle was a great swimmer, except when he was towing other people. <laughs> That's right. That's what they would do to him. Because first phase, second phase, third phase, like first phase, you got to finish your two mile ocean swim in 74 minutes. In second phase, it goes down to 72 minutes. In third phase, it's 70 minutes. From the get-go, Kyle was doing times of 60 minutes, 61 minutes. In fact, I think he and, and the great Tom Shea, Mr. Five Hell Weeks himself, great book out there. You ought to check out his book, Unbreakable. Tom and Kyle posted, a, what was it, a 58.50 or something like that, which was, I think it was what, like 15 seconds behind the record at Bud's at the time. You have a better memory than I do, but yeah. And it goes a lot to Tom and I. It just so happened we were in the same class together and the way we swam, it just worked out perfectly for us. Well, it's indicative of who you are and how you approach life too. I mean, Kyle is definitely not somebody that if you get the opportunity, you're looking for that next position in life within the financial world or at a firm. He's the guy that is going to swim as hard as he can to make sure that you're in the right place. And that's what I just hope everybody who's paying attention to this podcast, if you are a veteran, if you are interested in this world, do not hesitate to just get on the phone with him because he's had a very prolific career so far in the financial world. I mean, he's the one who taught me everything I needed to know about what to say and how to say it and when to say it and who to say it to my first five years of working in the financial services industry. The short end of the story, for those of you that when Dave's talking about these times, apparently there was a guy in your class that wasn't going to make the time, would have gotten kicked out. And so Kyle swims out to the buoy with some rope in his suit, ties the rope around his waist into the guy, and then Kyle basically swims and drags this guy along with him so he can make the time. That's right. To me, that says a lot, which explains why he helped you. I didn't know that story up until recently. And I just thought that was sort of apropos for who Kyle is. But again, I need to be able to Kyle to get out of his office. And if his head gets too big, he might not get to the You don't got to worry about that. That's a guy who <laughs> literally, it, it took him almost, I would say, 15 years to even acknowledge he was a frogman to anybody openly out in business or anything. But he's as humble and as gracious as any human being you'll ever meet. Let's get into... What I wanted to talk to you about, because I think it's so, I saw you at the LPL conference a few weeks ago, and you're talking about overcoming fear and all these things. But what I really wanted to talk about today, and maybe just get into a little bit of your, again, I think people know you're a Navy SEAL now, you were a Navy SEAL, but a little bit of your background as it relates to the coaching that you do. So it needs people to understand where we're going with this, because I think that what I see in today's marketplace with financial advisors and wealth managers is I look at it as sort of like, the last 10 years have been sort of peacetime in the market, peacetime with clients. Every month, your client gets a statement. The statement is, there's more money in the account than there was the month before. And it's easy. And peacetime markets, I think, make a lot of advisors forget about the details of their business, to forget about the small things that matter, forget about service, forget about a lot of things. They get, I'm going to use the word lazy. I don't mean it literally lazy. They're not as sharp as they need to be. And I think that that translates very much into, again, I wasn't in the military. It's one of my biggest life regrets. But maybe just can you translate what happens if you're 
on an operation and you don't pay attention to the details, sort of explain how that's going to end up for you when you're out on an operation. Because I think it's really important that advisors understand this is really important. This is their lives, their livelihood, and not paying attention to the details is not okay, especially with the markets that we may be coming into. So with that, maybe just start a little bit with your background and let's just start hammering this thing out. Absolutely. After leaving Penn State where I went, I was an art major with a minor in poetry. So I'm a hippie who can kill you. I had no dream ever of going into special operations, but through a sequence of events, I ended up pivoting, joining the Navy to become a Navy SEAL in order to be able to evaluate my life in a much more substantial way. And then also really to seek out the truth of who I could potentially become and the man that I wanted to become. And so in that course, I was a medic, I was an operator, but my final two years, I became an instructor. And that was where it was the paradigm shift in what my purpose in life was going to become. Because what I very early realized that if you have a person that's in an extenuating circumstance that has chosen to be in that extenuating circumstance, that the environment is challenging at the highest levels, are they going to make the right decisions that matter? And I just discovered like we had these kids that were so impressionable and so ready to consume a higher degree of psychological input other than just learning how to shoot, learning how to make bombs, learning how to do all the fundamentals. But you had these really willing young men that wanted to become what they had dreamed about, what they saw, what they read about. And but yet there was this gap. And so that's where I fell in love with teaching because I was able to kind of articulate that mindset in a fundamental way that made sense to them. And then also with a significant layer of motivation behind it. I kind of was always that guy. I was always the captain of my sports teams. I was always the rah-rah guy when everything else sucked. I'm, you look like Kyle shaking his head right there. You know, I was always the guy that had false motivation when everybody else was miserable. I'd somehow crack a joke. And I did that because I was so miserable. I felt if I could make others laugh that I was engaging my mind in something positive that would benefit other people as well as myself. That genuine sense of servitude, that service to others ahead of myself. And that's a core component when you talk about those core values within your next level process. That's the type of person you have to be. And that's what I think your organization looks for and why you're out there helping people in the way you are. And so when I got out, struggled a little bit, I ended up getting recruited by a friend to go work for Blackwater. I was an international curriculum and training specialist, again, creating curriculum, teaching. This time I was kind of training foreign commandos in different areas and fell in love more with that curriculum development the technicality of crafting information that if somebody was exposed to it, they could see substantial increases in their performance thresholds. And so that propelled me for, I started my company, Frog Logic Concepts in 2006. Originally was supposed to be all kids. I wrote my first kids book back then. Over the next two years, 2006, seven, eight, I spoke to about 7,000 kids in North America, trying to instill them with a greater understanding of self-confidence, not so much of the idea that self-confidence is permanent because that's not the way it is, but the fact that every day something, what I call the negative insurgency, is going to tear down your self-confidence. So if you don't have a way to rebuild it, you're at the mercy of this unforeseen insurgency, if you will. And that's much like what we're going through from that transition to bull to bear market right now. 
the unforeseen, the unknowns that are so far outside of any operator or financial advisor's control, but they're still allowing the negative space they're in to deplete or to denigrate their existing skill sets or TTPs, their tactics, techniques, and procedures. So I did that for two years. Economy collapses. There were no school systems in the country that had any money, and certainly nobody else was going to spend money on kids' education in that capacity. So I luckily had a friend recruited me to go work for the Central Intelligence Agency. And so for two years, I trained case officers, essentially how to better integrate with SOC units or Special Operations Command units, most predominantly tier one units. And that was Delta Four, SEAL Team Six, and some other covert units. Because it was since the first time since the Vietnam era, you had case officers that were co-located in war zones with Special Operations Unit. And that was to facilitate actionable intelligence at a higher rate, whereas typically it's a much slower process to receive information, vet it, turn it into actionable intelligence, then launch special operations units to execute those, whatever the attributes from that intelligence were. And so I did that for two years. Again, this was the big awakening for me. This is where I got the education of a lifetime because I was able to work with case officers that were some of the best our country's ever produced. And what I learned from them was a completely different mindset than what I'd learned in the special operations community. And they're trained diametrically different. Whereas special operations, it's all team driven. It's all team oriented. Within the intelligence world, everything's siloed. For security purposes, you always keep information siloed. And so they were operating by themselves, cultivating assets and sub sources and sources and really building their own cases independent of anything else. And so For me, I was just like, well, that's not a very smart way to do it. But thankfully, through a friend of mine, Tonto, who if you ever saw the movie 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi, his name's Chris Peranto. He was a very early influence on me when I started working with them because I didn't know, I didn't understand how this all worked. And so he's like, hey, listen, shut your mouth, start asking questions and have them teach you what this is all about. Now, what is it all about? It's about the collection of information. That's what financial advisors do, essentially. You collect information, not only through your client, but through the markets, and then you make fundamental decisions based on what the reality of your operational profile says. And the fact that we're moving into a different operational battlefield within the markets, that is a diametric shift in their operational profiles. And so that's what I learned. These men and women, they taught me things that I could never even dream of. I never thought what questions to ask. And when you really break it down, you think about this, what their job is, is essentially to meet with the world's most horrific, notorious, lying, just dogmatic ideologues that the world produces, meet with them, befriend them, garner profound rapport so that this opposition shares with them critical information that then we use for national security purposes. So it's this unbelievable process. And everybody wants to think about a case officer as Jason Bourne, but it's not. It's the average person, highly intelligent person who just understands that there are an infinite number of ways to read another human being. And so I got this two-year education on this. I call it my master's degree in understanding people. And then after that, I decided I need to put my money where my mouth is. And I deployed for two years, actually doing that job that you saw in 13 hours for two years. And then after two years of that, 
my ex-wife said, you deploy one more time and we're done. As it turns out, I probably should have kept the point. It didn't matter anyways. We were done anyways. But I left and that's when God brought Kyle back into my life. And he just, at the time I decided to stop working for the agency is when he called me up and he was like, hey, Rut, man, are you still speaking to people? And I was just like, yeah, I am. He goes, do you suck? And I'm like, (laughs) come on, bro. Come on, man. I'm Captain Motivator. You remember? And he's like, okay, I believe you, but if you're any good, I'm going to use you. My buddy will use you. We use speakers all the time in the financial services industry. And so he gave me my break. And that year I did 30 events for his former organization. And now it's gone on to where for the last 10 years, I've averaged 40 to 50 events a year. This year I've done 78 events. So it's a pretty good year right now. And then tangentially with that, I really wanted to bring in that coaching at a more intimate level back. And so I started working with professional sports teams and collegiate sports teams and athletes back in 2013-14. My banner year doing that was 2018. I worked with the Collegiate World Series champions, the Oregon State Beavers baseball team. It was my second year with them, who I worked with another person that Kyle knows, Todd Owen. We worked together there. And then in 2018, I was in my third year of working with the Boston Red Sox to where we won a World Series championship that year. And my job that year was to help craft a leadership development program around Mookie Betts, who went on to win the AL MVP that year. So that's kind of my history. That's how I've fallen in love with coaching. That's how I've fallen in love with helping people. The way I describe it is I help people restructure their perception of pain so they can be better performers in extreme environments. That's it. We talk about, you referenced it, our firm has a set of core values that we operate under. And we also have something called an elite next level process. And that is essentially the process we take an advisor through when they're looking to make a move. And that process can change. So it changes based on the environment. I think it's going to change the process that an advisor would go through if they were moving in 08 and 09, which was one kind of market. I believe if they make a move in this newer market, the process and the opportunities can change, meaning 0809 independence wasn't really a thing. It was out there, but it wasn't like people viewed going independent as a step backwards. Technology wasn't there. The systems weren't there. So nowadays, now it's, I'll say equally, or if not better, depending on who you're talking to. And so the process that which an advisor that maybe made a move back then and still making a move today changes. And so maybe talk a little bit about how in a mission that you might go out on that in years before you'd handle it one way, the situation changes, you're ad- identifying. So we put as evaluate our client's business needs understanding, learn about needs and objectives, investigate all options. So it's basically looking at what is the goal you're trying to achieve? And then you have to figure out, okay, if that's the goal, what are you trying to get out of the goal? And then what are all the options to think about so that you're prepared. I watch a lot of different movies. Unfortunately, I watched Lone Survivor this last weekend. And it's sort of just, God rest your souls and thank you for the service. And by the way, thank you for your service. I failed to mention that. But lots of mistakes. I mean, look, you know Marcus Luttrell. You're friends with him. So I'm not making any assumptions. I wasn't there. I don't know anything. But if that's the way the movie played out, there were some mistakes that were made on the spot that could have had a different outcome. And I translate that whenever I watch a movie, whether it's a war movie or a sports movie or something like that, I'm always thinking about advisors and how it translates. Absolutely. And I think that now advisors can be on the 
precipice of making a mistake, thinking that the way they are going to approach this next three to five years of a market, they're going to approach it the same way as the last five years, I think is a huge mistake. Monumental. It's going to destroy their business. There's no doubt about it. So talk about how in your world, in that world, how do you know when to pivot, adjust, identify that things are different with this op than they were last time? And so because of that, we have to do something. And then speaking to so many advisors over this professional part of your career, what kind of mistakes do you see advisors make that they can not make going forward? Absolutely. I think a great initial example to kind of start this out with is you look at Kyle deployed to Bosnia when he was at his team, and that was a completely different mindset. It's a different mission. It's a different oversight, what they were doing, how they were supporting in terms of reconnaissance and intel support and training. And then you fast forward to the next major thing we had to deal with, which was Afghanistan. And my first deployment to Afghanistan, we were utilizing concepts that were kind of antiquated and were kind of remnants of a bygone era. And very quickly, we had to adjust. And I never deployed to Iraq, but you talk to our buddies who deployed to Iraq, which was predominantly in urban warfare. And they had to completely reevaluate what we call TTPs, tactics, techniques, and procedures. And so the evolution of TTPs within all industries is fundamental. If you become like, and you called it before, lazy, I want to say it is laziness, man. If you're so complacent that you're unwilling to adjust TTPs, then you deserve what you get. And I'm sorry if that sounds harsh, but it's the nature of entrepreneurialism. It's the nature of business itself. If you're not adapting, you're a thing of the past. I mean, look at Blockbuster Video. Look at what Kmart is collapsed. Look at, I mean, Sears. Just look at what we've seen through COVID and how many industries have just utterly collapsed, in particular small businesses, which is what financial independent financial advisors are. They're small business. And so what we always do is when we go to a battlefield, the battlefield teaches us, it tells us and mandates what we need to address. It says, all right, this tactic didn't work. This technique didn't work. And your procedures of preparation or post-op prep or debriefing, none of it's working. All right. So if you come back again, in our world, people die. In your world, people lose their businesses because I hate to burst anybody who's listening to this bubble, but you're not the only financial advisor in the world. (laughs) And so there's a lot of choice. And so what do you have to do? And you say in your core values, it's that commitment to learning. So what we do when we evaluate what the battlefield is screaming at us, we come back, we go through all our debriefs, post-ops, we hand those over to training cell, training cell at the command level and then at the group level and then within the schoolhouse level, because that's how we kind of break it down. They evaluate what they're doing and what they're not doing. If they see these glaring deficiencies, because we don't scrap all of our fundamentals, there are certain fundamentals that are tried and true across all battlefields. They just don't change. If you move too far away from those foundational ideas, now you're really at risk. If you're going to go out and try some new Wazoo technology that you believe and you haven't tested it or you change up your whole, I'm going to go all in and put 90% of my portfolio with one or two clients. I mean, this is stuff that everybody knows. You just don't do this. You incrementally make adjustments to fit whatever those specific pain points are that are teaching you. 
And we do this within our training blocks. And Kyle can talk about that with free fall. Kyle, I mean, you go into free fall and just explain a little bit, how does free fall change every single time you go up in the air, but those fundamentals stay the same? You got to stick with the basics, the procedures. And when you have those procedures so locked down, then no matter what external happenings occur, malfunctions, maybe colliding with somebody, as long as you can go back and automatically muscle memory back to those procedures, you can get back to a safe spot, especially in free fall, live to see another day. (laughs) Amen. Amen. That's right. Literally. Literally. Always going back to the basics and then building off of there. You got to have that foundation. And we had in the SEAL team, I mean, one of the biggest things was Murphy's Law. We talked about it all the time. And what's the first rule of Murphy's Law? What can go wrong will go wrong. And being able to have that mindset that, okay, this is the path I want to go down, but I have to be able to pick and not have all the noise that's out there, which is exactly what we're talking about today. Advisors have not had the noise for the last 10 years. Well, they got to stop being complacent with what's happened the last 10 years and go back to their basics and then be able to adjust from there into what the current environment's going to be expecting for them. Well, I think that's one of my fears is you talk to someone that's been through. So I started in 96. I was a producer in 96. So by the time 2000 rolled around, I had just enough of a book of business to have it blow up a little bit on us during the tech Mm -hmm. bubble. But my biggest fear, and I think that, Kyle, you're talking about habits and rituals. So I talk habits and rituals. Those are the things, when you have those ingrained in you, even when you're tired, even when you're drained, the habits and the rituals sort of take over on autopilot. And so whether it's skydiving, you're free falling, going out on certain missions, the small things that you do automatically, what I'm concerned about, or what I see happening is that advisors have become complacent. And when you get complacent thinking nothing's going to go wrong, you drift. I call it drift. You drift from those habits and rituals that got you to where you were. Absolutely. That's part of the next level process is, yeah, you in the moment, you go back to that muscle memory. You go back to those basics that save you in the moment. But guess what you have to do? You have to adapt now. What's the next formula that you need to do, which is you have to evaluate in real time what the market or what the battlefield is telling you. Your enemy has new weapon systems. I'll tell you what, the next kinetic battle that we're going to face, it's not a bunch of ideological crazies in the sand running around with 40-year-old AKs and stuff. It's We're going to be facing a thousand drones over a city that has a comprehensive view of every inch, nook, and cranny with FLIR capabilities, forward infrared capabilities that can identify any movement within the city floor. We're going to face bioweapons that we've never seen before. We're going to face potentially waves of people that are highly trained with night vision and weapon systems, laser systems, supersonic ballistic missiles. So what do we do? Are we going to sit back and say, oh, yeah, we kicked ass over the last 20 years. We're just going to pull those tactics into the next kinetic No, that's not how it works. We have to advance our systems now and build on those basics. And that's what I'm telling advisors out there right now. And But before I get into the advanced technology or advanced concepts or advanced ideologies, what you have to do is you have to gain credible and viable intel. You have to go out and seek information that you know has been vetted and is squared away. So what do you do 
There are plenty of advisors that right now in this moment are trying to make transitions. They're at their twilight years. They want to move on. They're trying to figure out how to sell their books of business. And I see almost every event I do, there's three or four of these people in the audiences. So what do they have? What do they have that you might need or want? They have information. They have an understanding. They've been through, they went through 87. They went through 2000. They went through 2008. So they have an understanding of what to do in these situations. But yet a lot of young advisors aren't seeking them out and saying, hey, what did you do when the bear market came? How did you change your business? What did you do? And I don't know whether it's ego. I don't know whether it's ignorance. It's probably something in between. Or a measure. Little both. Thank you very much. And they're not doing it. But there are a plethora of people out there that have wisdom from old battlefields. And remember, fundamentally, a lot of the basics are there. What to do first. I mean, obviously the number one thing is you've got to convince your clients they're going to be okay. And whether or not you can convince them that, hey, don't worry, the unknown market shifts, the volatility, all these other things, the M2 number and all this, don't worry about all that. We'll figure out a way that makes sense that protects you in the long term because this is a long game. That's critical. Then the second part is, all right, the next obvious question is how? What are you going to do, Frank, that's going to titrate the significant decline in the market over the, what is it? It's down 40% or something like that this year or something crazy. I mean, everybody's freaking out. How long is this going to last? I guess the longest recession we've had over the last 34 years is like 14 months or something like that. So it's not like it's going to be this insane 10-year downgrade in the markets. They always come back, we hope. It always comes back. We were at that event. I'm going to interrupt, but we were at your event, not your event, but the LPL thing. There was a wholesaler up there and he was pitching some annuity and he was a younger guy. And he was talking about like, now is the great time. The market's at a discount. Like the whole, hey, you're buying it at a discount now and all this <laughs> stuff. And I looked over, I'm like, I've heard that before. <laughs> and that's youth. That's the youth talking. They're trying, they're using, they're not thinking about what the actual battlefield is telling them. And they're trying to put a spin on it. And that's what senior level commanders who aren't on the battlefield try and do. They try and spin the reality. And so one of the things that really makes us exceptional in the special operations communities, we don't spin anything. We just got waylaid because you cannot spin someone's death. You cannot spin a mistake. It is what it is. We made a mistake because this was incorrect. And so we come back, we evaluate that truth, and then we set forth based on the truth of what the battlefield is telling us. So whether it's a Pollyannic attitude or trying to instill confidence in your clients, you're doing a disservice if you're like, hey, listen, oh, we had jobs growth, but every other metric in the market right now is screaming at you, hey, you need to prepare. This is going to be a little bit more long-term than it's not transitory. <laughs> I also think it's communication. You're talking about that communicating. We just had an issue. I'll talk about it. It's sort of an internal thing. And this is whether you're a financial advisor running a practice or you're a business owner, you're an entrepreneur. I wrote down, you were talking about before, TTP, tactics, techniques, and procedures. And also I would throw in there communication because communication is really important. And so we had some things that broke down last week at our company, started with communication, but it really was the tactics and techniques and the procedures that broke down because I think we got a little bit lazy in terms of, we're running too fast and not paying attention to the details. 
And then we weren't communicating it. And then some things blew up. Now, honestly, blew up. I don't mean philosophically. Yeah, no, you world, got it. Yeah. In your world, they really blow up. Yeah, yeah, that's Our right. world just was a hostile, draining thing for the company. But it goes back to understanding what your tactics and techniques and procedures are and then communicating them. And I think that advisors that have never been through a market crisis don't understand how important having these things, these TTPs are and communicating them to your clients. And it's not good enough just to say, oh, the longest bear market has been 14 months. Don't worry about it. They're going to worry about it because it's their life savings. It's their, their entire savings. existence. That's right. It's wise advice from you to go for these younger advisors to go seek out the senior folks like, hey, man, in 08 and 09 or 2000, 2001, what were you saying to your clients? What kind of things were you doing to communicate to your clients? Birthday cards and all that crap don't matter anymore. That doesn't count in terms of, well, I'm touching my clients. It's going to be different. And this next time will be different than last time. And who knows what it's going to be, but it'll be different. And if you're not prepared, all of the TTPs that you talk about and communication, you're going to get burned. Those big clients leave, your production goes down. I just think that there's, I'm very passionate about this because I think that having been through two of them, I'm still young. It's not like I'm old, but two of them that were really bad. And you recognize after the fact, what did you learn? What would you do differently? And I think that there's advisors out there that are not prepared. The other thing I wanted to ask you, I didn't really say we're going to talk about this, but it just brought up because you brought up some of the older advisors that have been around a long time. You talk a lot about embracing, not embracing fear or confidence and all that stuff. How do you motivate somebody or what do you say to an advisor that has a good book of business and they're seeing this thing come and they're just throwing their hands up and saying, I'm done. I don't want to go through this anymore. I don't know if it's a, not really a fear thing, a confidence thing, but it's a energy drain. I'll say quitting. I don't believe in the word. The word quit isn't allowed to be talked about in my house. But what do you say to advisors that are thinking about hanging it up? At some point, and maybe this is a good segue, at some point, you and Kyle made a decision that you were going to leave the military, leave the SEALs. What do you say to advisors that are going through that right now? Because it's emotional. They're seeing a, maybe another wave of market decline and they don't want to do it. They don't want to go through it. What do you say to them in terms of how to think about their decision? Because that's a big decision in their life, just like it was for you guys. For sure. Let me just backtrack one and just talk a little bit about that communication process and what you mentioned there. One of the big things that we do is we live and die by the debrief. And so to give you an understanding of what this might look like, let's say Kyle and I were doing close quarter batter, CQB. That's where we get all jocked up and, you know, the night vision, the quads, and we're penetrating rooms and we're saving hostages and taking down terrorists and all that. Well, after every single run we do, and we might do this for four straight weeks, we do it from sun up to well past sundown. We might do 20, 30 runs in a day, whether it's two man, four man, full squad, full platoon runs. I mean, we just do this over and over and over and over and over again. What we do after every single run is we come outside and training cell says, all right, Kyle, in room two, you didn't do this. Your moving call was wrong. Do you understand that? Yes, I do. What else did you see? I saw this. All right, right. In the next one, you didn't hold security long when you're the hall boss. You took your gun barrel off that long hallway in the stairwell. Do you understand that? Yeah, I did. And so we are constantly debriefing our mistakes 
to where they're relevant and consistent within our consciousness. And so we can make those incremental improvements or changes in real time. And so what I always say, if an organization is struggling with communication, then you have to increase briefing and triple debriefing. Now, what does that look like? Most organizations will, you might have a Monday morning, like get together. Okay, this is what we're going to do. And then you might not meet, you might have a Friday or whatever, but If you're in a challenging time, brief first thing in the morning and then debrief at the end of the day. But when you debrief, the key to debriefing, obviously, is make sure that you're taking copious notes because I've seen a thousand and one debriefs where nobody took notes, nobody, whatever. Three months later, they've repeated the same things that they did wrong three months before, the same individuals, the same stuff, because what you're doing is you're telling everybody, yeah, we messed up here. But then one, since training budgets have been eviscerated since 2008, nobody has programs in place to where you train out those professional scars, or we call them training scars, the wrong TTBs that you just keep repeating because you're not hyper aware in your debriefs, hey, we keep making the same mistake twice. So what I always do is say up your briefs, and that's establishing clear objectives for the week, for the day, for the quarter, whatever you want to do. And then when it's time, you have the debrief. Hey, this is what I did. I did these three things wrong. I did these things right. Let's try and implement these three things as a training basis for everybody else in the organization. So that from a communications standpoint, brief more, debrief way more. So for the transitioning individual, this is the most debilitating aspect of any industry, any organizations. I work a ton with athletes on this, professional athletes, dealing with this. I work a ton with operators dealing with this. I've worked with for the past 10 years with veterans organizations on helping guys manage this. I do it personally. My transition was horrific. It did not go as it should have gone. It was about as debilitating as anything. And I'm lucky to still be alive as a result of it. But now we have information that is understanding. So the biggest thing, and I've probably had 10 conversations this year alone with people that are in this phase, And the one thing I always ask them is, why are you transitioning? And it seems like a simple question. I'm done with the rat race. I'm done with the pressure. I'm done. I just don't have the energy. I don't want to do it anymore. And then my next following question is, all right, what's your plan to do this? And meanwhile, they've just articulated this monumental pain. And remember, what I do is I help people restructure their perception of pain. They have this monumental pain emotionally of the fatigue, of the grind, in particular, what we're going into now, they just don't want to go through it again. But yet they don't have a clear, well thought out execution plan on how to achieve this. And for me, it's like, man, you've operated for 30 years, 25 years, 40 years in some cases, you ran a pretty sophisticated business, you've been very successful, you've achieved all these things, in the most significant portion or time in your life, this shift in identity, and that's what you have to think about it is you're shifting your identity. And people are like, well, that's not true. In your twilight years, you don't really get consumed with that. And I say to those people, I go, that's ridiculous. It's even more so there because you long to be the person you once were. I mean, you ask Kyle or I, and I'm sure every so often during the week, we'll see something on TV or we'll see a movie or read a book or the terminal list just came out, which was written by a friend of ours. And it's the number one series on Amazon. 
And you ask any team guy who sees that, and it brings back vivid memories. It's like, man, I want to go get back in a game and start killing bad guys. And that's the mentality is you're going to long for this, but you will have a better transition if you put the work in so it's a concise, methodical transition that you were active in how that transition took place. And also when you're doing that, I would highly recommend that you also have something set up for yourself when that transition finally takes place, whether it's working with something philanthropic, whether it's some foundation you started, whatever it is, because going and hitting the golf course seven days a week is not going to give you regenerate a significant portion of your meaning or your value or whatever. It just doesn't do it. The whole idea, I'm going to go sit on a beach in St. Bart's and drink pina coladas for the next five years. That's ridiculous. I don't care how hard you've worked or how hard you grind. You got about seven days of that. And then you're like, all right, who am I and why am I here? That overwhelms you. So take the time, create a definitive process, an execution plan, a checklist to make the healthy transition. And the biggest thing is the fact that many of these people I'm seeing, they don't have a legacy plan. They don't have their children to turn out over. They don't have a junior partner that they've worked with for 20 years who they have all, they're like a family member. A lot of that doesn't exist. That's the big problem is they have this intimate attachment to these clients. And I see this right now with my father, who's an attorney, he's a state planning attorney. And at 77 years old, he's still trying to hang on with these clients that he had a relationship with. And he feels as if he's letting them down if he can't handle the work. And I'm like, dad, it's not your responsibility. You were a devoted manager of their trust and their will, their state for 40 years, it's not on you anymore. And so that's part of this emotional separation that needs to take place. And it really helps to have a definitive plan and then also to do the work to prepare yourself that's saying that you can let go freely and move into a place where you're not in meaning free fall, that profound existential shift. And that's what it is. Let me just go down that route just a little bit. Everybody in the country has just gone through an existential shift in their perception of reality. That's what the pandemic did to us. It is an unknown enemy that came at us, that destroyed so much of our lives for so long and continues to at this day. It shifted the way we look at everything from time at work to contact to our vulnerabilities, our health. And then on top of that, you have the political unrest. You've got the culture wars going on. You have the instability on a strategic political space with Russia and Ukraine, now China and Taiwan. And so we're in this very profound time of uncertainty, much greater than this is basically a deployment for us. So everybody, welcome to the club. (laughs) Welcome to the existential deployment and living in that space of hypervigilance. And so people are not prepared for that. They're not wired for it. And especially if people have had this bull run where complacency has utterly just put people in this sensation that they're impervious to the profound shift that can take place at any time, the cataclysmic shift and how we look at the world that's outside of our own governance. And so what it really comes back to is your own sovereignty and what you're sovereign to. And so the idea is, man, this is on you. Nobody's coming to save you. We got a famous saying in special operations, once you're out in the field, nobody's coming to get you, man. It's on you and it's on your teammates. One of the great things that I love about your core values, the last three are commitment to team, commitment to faith, and commitment to firm family connection, man. 
This is where you strengthen your teams. This is where you bring everybody that's in your core sphere of influence, in your profession, in your clients, and you pull them into the fray and you bunker in. You bunker in. Hey, these are our new TTPs. This is the level of contact and communication we're going to have because this is what we believe the battlefield is showing us. And if you can articulate that to your clients and to your teammates and to yourself, then man, you're set up for victory. Awesome. That's like a mic drop moment right there. (laughs) We're going to leave it right there. That is so profound. And I think that I hope that advisors are listening, get the hint, get off your asses, talk to your clients. You need to do things differently than you did the last year, 12 months. Even the pandemic, that market was really up and down really fast. It wasn't really like 08 and 09 and 2001. So get off your asses, look at your TTPs, understand what you need to do because the field has changed. So that was awesome. I really appreciate that. We could keep going, but this is already probably the longest podcast that I've done. <laughs> I have a tendency to do that. I'm a bit long-winded as Kyle probably briefed you. <laughs> I do too. And we all have type A personalities, sometimes have short attention spans. And so I want to make sure that this was awesome. So Frog Logic, where can they get more information on your website? You have an Instagram account. Like, How do they follow your stuff, contact you if they want help? Where do they go? So it's teamfroglogic.com is the website. I'm pretty much only on LinkedIn right now. We're in the process of developing a FrogLogic app specifically to where then we'll be able to release all of the FrogLogic Institute. We've got a lot of the core curriculum there. We're transitioning. We'll be online curriculum. We'll have motivational, nutritional things, workouts, the whole thing for the mindset, the never quit mindset curriculum we're building out too. So that's probably in about six months, but LinkedIn and teamneverquit.com. And then I'm going to try and get my podcast, the Frog Logic podcast back up and probably try and do two a month is what I have the capacity right now for. So uh, we're getting ready to release one here coming up about turning 50. I just turned 50 and what that, and then the one after that will be Another SEAL, Kevin Stark is his name, who's an ultra athlete and coach. And he just ran the Badwater 135. And we dig into the metaphysics of what it's like to run 135 miles in the desert. (laughs) Awesome. And then for anyone that's looking to transition, if you're we're former military, you're a veteran, you're a financial advisor in wealth management, and you're really looking for someone to help you sort of tow you along as Kyle has done in the past, he's the guy to help you. So you reach out to him. Kyle, your email is kyle at eliteconsultingpartners.com. What's the best number to reach you at if someone wants to give you a buzz? Call the cell phone, 609-367-2782. Awesome. One more thing, this is going to be a plug, but you mentioned something, Dave, in terms of your transition out. We do something every year that's really important to us, and it's along those lines of veterans coming out of the military who suffer from PTSD Many of them, unfortunately, 22 a day, as a matter of fact, commit suicide. That number, Frank, actually could be up as high as 35 to 37 right now. 22 is bad enough. That's even worse. It's climbed astronomically. Sorry to interrupt. I just want people to understand the gravity of what's happening right now with veterans and veteran suicide. Yeah. And I think that people look at you guys. Oh, my God, they're tough Navy SEALs or bad motherfuckers. Not recognizing that your mental stability is just as fragile as everybody else's. We host an annual event. September 12th here in New Jersey, a Trump national. It has nothing to do with that. It's Trump. It just happens to be one of the nicest courses in the area. 
and we raise money for Mission 22, which is an organization that helps veterans suicide and PTSD, and really just helping them transition, helping them find some normalcy in who they are, in a way, finding purpose again. They use the analogy of iron sharpens iron and steel. And so it's finally helping them find purpose again. So we'll put some links in our emails and stuff like that. If you want to donate against Mission 22, it's a tremendous charity. I, you made a comment about your transition out and reminded me that that's something that everyone struggles with all the time. And so I try to do whatever I can to help you. But anyway, thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. Dave was awesome. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks for setting this up. I appreciate it. And I enjoyed the call. Thanks a lot, guys. Amen. Thank you. Love, Love you, buddy. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcasts. Mm -hmm.